Hey, y'all. How we doing? Everybody recovered from last week? Everybody recovered from Thanksgiving? Some of y'all look a little bit heavier than you did last Sunday. I'm not naming names. I'm not naming names. Some of y'all know you look great. Others, not so much. That's all right. I was really, I was really lucky to get to, to get to speak to you guys last Sunday, some of you guys. Um, uh, Megan was not so lucky. The reason I got to speak to you is because she was sick. Um, so this time is actually supposed to be my turn. And uh, we're just going to be continuing, continuing to roll through Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be continuing to talk about um, life inside out. We just talked about life upside down, which was our, our series on Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. And we're continuing with life inside out, which is all about surprises. So over Thanksgiving, um, there was actually a story that I read that was... Did you guys hear about the, the attempted terrorist attack in London? Did you guys hear about this? There was a London... On, on London Bridge, there was a guy who strapped a, a suicide vest to himself. Turned out to be fake. And he, and he went to London Bridge and started attacking people. And, and he was stopped, thank goodness, by two, by two Londoners. Uh, one guy grabbed a fire extinguisher from somewhere and started chasing him down and spraying with the fire extinguisher, which if the suicide vest wasn't real or was real, I don't know what his plan was. I don't think the fire extinguisher would really help, but he was spraying him with a fire extinguisher. And then another guy, you can watch a video of this. I'm not making this up. Another guy comes out of nowhere with the tusk of a narwhal. I'm not making that up. I don't think I could if I wanted to. Another guy comes out with a tusk of a narwhal, super long, javelin-looking thing, and just starts beating the guy with it. Just starts beating this, and, and, they, and they subdued him. And the, and, and the police got there and took him in. And uh, so not, I don't know if that's a fun story or not, but it's definitely a surprising story. And uh, the loose tie-in, then, is, is that this is also a surprising story. Everything that's happening as we're rolling through Matthew is designed to be surprising. It's designed to be counter-expectations. This kingdom was all upside down. And the model of life that Jesus is setting, the rules that he's setting for our lives, are totally inside out. And this is kind of a fun section. It's a section that we could probably do a series on on its own. Um, we're going to be in chapter, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 34. And this is, this is a really fun part because it's, it's Jesus just rapid-firing out a couple miracles. It's really fun. It's going to be a little bit exhausting, but stay with me. We can get through it. So last time, last Sunday, we talked about him healing a paralyzed person. And this time, he's going to heal four people in, like, that many verses. So we've got some questions at the table for the end. But they're not... I always say that the questions aren't my best work. I don't know how great I am at coming up with questions. I hope you guys can do something with those. But I also want you guys, just as a, in a general way, whenever you listen to stuff like this, and we're going to have discussion after, think about questions of your own. I assume that pretty much all of you have questions, maybe not super related to what I talk about, but related to the passages or whatever. Take advantage of that. Come up with those questions. Talk about them. Um, and just keep that in mind as we're rolling through these verses. So Matthew chapter 9, we're starting in verse 18. And you can read along with me. I meant to bring the remote, but Catherine's got it. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from hemorrhages for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. 
Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. So pause. Jesus is on his way to do what? He's on his way to heal a a dead girl, supposedly. And then we get distracted, we do, I assume Jesus doesn't, by 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 this other woman that comes up behind him. So, but I want to start with the ruler of the synagogue. So, the ruler of the synagogue, these are the people that have been making fun of Jesus this whole time, right? The rulers of the synagogues, the religious leaders, these are the people that have been making fun of Jesus, mocking him and, and calling him a blasphemer. But this, this man's daughter has just died, and I, I suppose in his desperation, he's gone to Jesus. And he kneels before Jesus. But it doesn't sound all that desperate because he says, come lay your hand on her and she will live. He believes that she will if Jesus heals her. There's faith there. That's really interesting. And so Jesus is on his way. He got plenty of notice. She's already dead. So I guess there's no hurry. I don't know how, how all this works. But he's on his way. He's following the leader. And this woman comes up to him. This woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Now, I can't relate to this, obviously. But I'm, I, I've, I've been in pain before. I've been in discomfort before of varying degrees. And I think the silver lining to me has always been in pain and in discomfort. The silver lining has always been it's going to be over sooner rather than later. Right? Anytime I've hurt myself, it's like it'll heal. Anytime I've been in discomfort, it's like it's not going to last forever. But if it's been going on for 12 years, even if it's a mild discomfort, which I don't think this is, But even if it's a mild discomfort, can you imagine 12 years? She must have tried everything. And and what makes this worse is that this ailment in particular would have made her unclean in the Jewish tradition, which means she can't live in the city with everyone else. She can't live with her family. She she, She certainly can't have regular relationships with other people. More than likely, the only people she's hanging out with are beggars outside the city and lepers. So this woman is miserable for 12 years. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that on any level. So if I'm going through this for 12 years, supposedly I've tried everything because it's been going on for 12 years and I hate this discomfort, and I see Jesus and I think there is any chance that he can heal me, I'm not going to go touch his coat. I'm going to run up and body tackle that dude. I'm going to go body tackle that. In my notes, I have handsome hunk of healing. And I don't know what mood I was in when I wrote that. But I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to, this is going to sound weird, but bear with me. I'm going to touch Jesus as much as I possibly can to make sure that if there is any part of him that can heal me, I'm getting that part. But it sure, looks like this, it sure looks like this woman's faith is a lot stronger than mine. Because she knows that if she just touches his coat, she's not taking any risks. She isn't in the mood to gamble. She knows that if she just touches his coat, she will be made well. And what makes her well? Is it that she touches Jesus' coat? Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Christ healed her, not because she touched a specific part of his coat. 
He healed her for her faith. He healed her just by her faith. And, oh, there's a dead girl. I forgot. Verse 23. <laughs> we almost forgot, right? We, we almost moved right past that. Verse 23, when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, which is like the coolest quote for Jesus. Just go, just get out. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And the people laughed at him. When the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. So finally, Jesus gets there. He gets to the house. I'm sure this leader wasn't thrilled that he stopped to help this other woman on the way. He's like, come on. She's literally dead. Can you please? And the girls died, and there's, and there's people playing music. I don't want you to think of the flute playing as, like, happy flute. Think of it as, like, sad flute. They, it's, it's, it's like a funeral procession. Yeah, it's exactly. These are sad instruments. These are sad flutes. Flutes sound happy to me most of the time, so whenever I read this, it was confusing. But this is sad flutes. So just remember to just have sad flute playing in your head. There's probably paid mourners here, which is not really an industry that's thriving in America today. But sometimes whenever someone would have a loved one die, they would, they would lay them out in the house so that everyone could see them, and they would mourn, and they would pay usually women to come into the house and just wail, just absolutely wail, and repeat the loved one's name over and over again and wail and, and mourn with them. And they would pay people to do this. And Jesus is like, go away. You're annoying She's not dead, she's just asleep. Oh, thank goodness. The doctor was just really stupid. Thank goodness. I don't know if you've ever tried to diagnose someone with a disease. It's, I feel like it's pretty hard to misdiagnose someone as dead. So someone's being silly. And, and whoever said she was dead wasn't wrong. And this is clear if you think, if you think um, about the story of Lazarus. All right, Lazarus is a good friend, friend of Jesus. He gets word that Lazarus is dying, but he doesn't get around to actually getting there until three days after Lazarus has died. And the story is in John 11. You can flip there if you want, or I'll, I'll just read it for you. We got it up on the screen, too. Um, so this is whenever, whenever Jesus gets there, and the women have, are, are kind of scolding him. They're like, why didn't you come? You could have healed him. And Jesus says to the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to, to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Duh. If he's asleep, he's going to wake up. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death in verse 13, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. (laughs) And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Man, Jesus is really laying it on thick with the whole, since you can't, I'll just bring it down to your level real fast. So Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's not, he's not saying that these people have been misdiagnosed with dead. He's redefining what death is. To Jesus, death is temporary. To Jesus, you can wake up from death. This is revolutionary, isn't it? Do we take this idea for granted? Of course they all laugh at him. Of course the people all laugh at Jesus, even probably the people that were paid to mourn. Imagine being paid to cry, and you can't even do that right. Everybody's laughing at Jesus for saying that he just needs to wake her up. But Jesus brings a a dead girl back to life. 
In the Gospel of Mark, it says this girl was 12 years old. Jesus is redefining death, and I think we just glance right over it. Because this is our hope too, isn't it? What's the point of, of all of this stuff? What's the point of worshiping God and all this kind of stuff if we just die and that's it? If God really loves us, doesn't he want more than just this short life with us? And so the good news that Jesus has for this leader and for this girl is the same good news that we have through Scripture, through the Gospel. And that is we don't even have to die. I think we've got two kinds of people in this room. We've got people who follow Christ, have faith in Christ, and we have people that don't. And to, and to the people that, that don't have this faith and that aren't following in this with us, don't you know that we aren't a bunch of preachy, perfect people? Don't you know that we're just scared like everyone else? We're just broken like everyone else. We're just hurting like everyone else. We don't have everything figured out. I'm so scared of dying. Whenever I was about eight years old, I started to have dreams about dying, recurring dreams. This is the first time that I ever really considered having faith in Christ for myself whenever I was eight. And it's because I was having these dreams of dying in like really weird, absurd ways, right? Have any of you guys seen the movie Final Destination? Good. Only one person. We, there's hope. But like stuff like that, like really awful, and really awful dreams. And it scared me, not because I really cared about God and Jesus and all this stuff, but because I was scared of dying. And as I grew and as I thought about these things further, I thought, I don't want that. Jesus, can I just not do that, please? And he was like, sure. That's been the plan all along. Christianity isn't for the perfect, it's for the scared and the hurting. Last week, Jesus did not come to be a physician to the healthy, but a doctor for the sick. And to those of us that, that do believe in Christ and do have this faith, I think we need to start acting like it a bit more in this area. This is something that's been on my heart a lot recently. We, we behave and we act so much like the rest of the world. We act like this is all that we got. We act like this is our life and we better live it right. And, and, and this life is super important. I'm not trying to take away from that. But we need to start acting like we aren't so afraid of death. Death is terrible. We can still say death is terrible. But we should let our faith in Christ show that we stand immune to that death. In Christ, this, this death that we're talking about is no different than being asleep. It's temporary. Paul in 1 Thessalonians. And in a lot of his letters, he doesn't even talk about people dying. He says they've fallen asleep. And they're going to wake up. They're going to wake up before the rest of us. I think that's a huge comfort. I think sometimes this reality of resurrection gets lost in all of our church. I think that's a shame. Jesus didn't come into your heart because you asked him to and transform your life. He gave you life. He gave you life before you did anything. So go and live. We've got a lot of verses left. If I start to go off like that, someone stop me. Throw something at me. Don't throw anything at me. Uh, verse 27, let's roll on. He's just healed this girl. 
Verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. So they're not necessarily, not necessarily like holding fast to every word he's saying. But imagine, imagine being cured of lifelong blindness and not telling anyone. Don't you think that would be kind of hard to hide at the next family get-together? You know, you're like watching people walk around. You're finally figuring out what everybody looks like, you know? And everybody's like, you can see now? And you're like, no, I guess not. I can't. Who is that? It'd be kind of hard to hide. But this is cool. This is cool. Because these are two really different kind of stories, three really different kind of healings of, of these different people. But, but there's an underlying theme. Do you detect the kind of underlying theme? Verse 29, then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. We saw a story of a woman, woman that literally throws herself at Jesus just to touch his coat. For healing. And we have a story of two men that are just following behind Jesus, yelling at him. Just shouting. But Jesus didn't care that the woman touched his coat, and Jesus doesn't care that these two men are calling him son of David, which to the Jewish people means that they're calling him some sort of a Messiah. He doesn't care about those things, though. He doesn't care. He cares about the faith that leads to those things. So two totally different tactics to get healing from Jesus, but the result is the same. The result is that Jesus heals because of faith. I don't want us to get this misconstrued and think that if we have enough faith, we can kind of play Jesus like a puppet. I don't want to think that. Because it's only because of Jesus that I can even have faith in Jesus. but Jesus does not demand that I follow a certain set of rules. He doesn't demand that I approach him a certain way, and he certainly doesn't demand that I live my life in a specific way. He demands that I have faith. And that leads, the Sermon on the Mount, that leads to all of these things we talked about. But the faith has to come first, and then healing can come. And then we can go and live. We have a couple more verses, one more miracle. I know, it's exhausting, but we'll get there. Don't worry about it. Verse 32. This one's really fun. As they were going away, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And the demon had been cast out. The mute man spoke. When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Matthew's hand must be getting tired from writing down all these miracles because he doesn't even tell us how this one happened. That's so frustrating, Matthew. Just write it. There's so much that happens between verse 32 and 33 that it ticks me off. He's like, yeah, so there's a guy who's demon-possessed and mute, and when the demon had been exercised, it's like, no, I want to hear about that part. That sounds cool. Don't move on so fast. This is the worst retelling of a story ever, for sure. Our 
I think Matthew's trying to draw kind of a different focus on this miracle. He's not really switching tracks, but he's, he's just expanding the focus a little bit. Sometimes I think, whenever my faith feels weak, I think, you know, it would be a whole lot easier to have faith. Why did I bring this chair up here? I don't, I'm not even using it. I'm just going to move it. Sometimes, sometimes I think that it would be a lot easier for me to have faith if I lived back then and I saw this cool stuff happen. Sometimes I think it would be a lot easier for me to have faith if, if God did really cool miracles like he does in Exodus, you know, where he parts a sea. I think that would, then I would have the faith that I really want to have. I would have the strongest faith. I don't know how much more impressive it can get than a man who cannot speak and a man who is possessed by a demon. And Jesus casts it out. And these religious leaders that should be the greatest at recognizing the power of God, look at it. And not only did they not recognize it as the power of their God, they blame it on demons. And I think I'd be right there with them. I think I'd be right there next to them. Notice the crowds are marveling. They're saying nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. No prophets have ever done anything this cool. But the Pharisees, those who are not sick, are missing the point. So as we're talking about these different attributes of Jesus, I think these verses demonstrate for us the trustworthiness of Jesus. And I think this works into our theme of life inside out because I think a lot of us have a lot of trust in a lot of places. I think the way that Jesus flips that narrative is that he's the guy that we trust whenever we can't trust anyone else. A few... A lot of years ago, I was going to say a few years ago, in 2006, my family moved to Russia. This is a really weird story. Hopefully I'll get to tell it in its entirety at some point. But we moved to, we moved to Russia to be missionaries overseas. I was a little kid. I was about seven years old. I guess I was closer to eight. In 2006, we moved to Russia. Very beginning, it was winter. It was cold. And, of course, we land in Russia, and my parents are like, it's cold. It's cold. And we are like, there's snow everywhere. We are from Houston. There is snow everywhere. We have never even been able to imagine this much snow in our entire lives. So, like, the third thing that's on our minds whenever we get there is we need to go sled in the snow. Me and my siblings, we just want to go sled in the snow. So we get a couple of those kind of garbage can lid sleds, you know, the kind I'm talking about. Any of you guys from anywhere other than Texas? Okay, five of us. Florida's worse. Florida's even worse. No, we got a couple of these garbage can lid uh, sleds, and we, go, and we go to this hill that's like in the middle of some park in Russia. I don't know what we were thinking. And we're, my parents are there, me and my siblings. We're sledding down the hill, and then we pick up our sleds, and we trudge back up. It's, the, it's like the most fun I've ever had in my life. And I, was, I remember one time, my mom was like up at the top of the hill, and my dad was like down near the bottom of the hill, kind of, just before the bottom of the hill. And I got off my sled, and I started going. It's one of those, it's one of those kind of, it's like a, it's like a big plate that I'm sitting on. And so I'm spinning, 
as I'm sledding down this hill, I'm spinning like crazy, and I think it's hilarious. And I see my dad, and he thinks it's hilarious too. He's laughing at me. I'm laughing at me. It's so fun, just flying down this hill like 90 to nothing, spinning. And then I could sense a change in my dad's facial expression as he noticed what I failed to notice, and that is a tree just, just in my path. And I was just coasting towards this tree at alarming speeds. And so my dad's facial expression changed from laughing to such panic, and he is sprinting towards me. I have never seen my dad sprint in my life aside from this story. He is sprinting towards me to stop me, and he is not able to get to me in time, and I just slammed into that tree. (laughs) And I threw my head back into the tree, and my joy, just as quickly as his turn to panic, turned into me absolutely bawling. I I did not enjoy that one bit. I believe that my dad did not want me to hit that tree. I hope that my dad did not want me to hit that tree. But despite his best efforts... He failed to stop me from hitting that tree. I hope he listens to this. I remember, Dad. Sometimes in my life, people have betrayed my trust, intentionally or unintentionally. And sometimes in my life, I've betrayed other people's trust, intentionally or unintentionally. We're only human, right? We're all going to let each other down. You may really like your family, your friends, or your church. You might even like all of them but sooner or later, they're all going to let you down. So what does it mean to live life inside out? It means to put our trust in something that isn't going to let us down. Some of you have already been let down by your friends, your family, or your church. Some of you not quite yet, but I promise it'll happen. And it's going it's gonna, to it's gonna hurt, and it's going to stink. And I'm sorry that that happens, but if you put your faith in me or anyone else ever again, it's going to happen again. It doesn't mean that we can't live together. It doesn't mean that we can't be in community together. We're important to each other, and that's great. But the only way that you get healing is by putting your faith in the only trustworthy person. This might sound like Sunday school stuff. but I have my trust in all kinds of wrong places right now. So in these verses, I think Jesus shows us, he shows us in four big ways how he's trustworthy, four different ways that Jesus is trustworthy, just in these verses. One, Jesus is trustworthy to accomplish his purposes. Two, Jesus is trustworthy even through mockery. Three, Jesus is trustworthy to the faithful no matter where they are. And four, Jesus is trustworthy even when people try to stop him. Now, you may be thinking, well, where did you get all that? I'm going to show you. Don't worry about it. You you could trust me. Jesus can be trusted to accomplish his his purposes, the first one. In this chapter, Jesus is on his way to revive a dead girl, and even when he is interrupted by the other woman, he doesn't forget his objective. He doesn't even, it doesn't even distract him for a moment. He walks along like he's known that this was all going to happen. Imagine that. In a broader sense, remember last week when we talked about Jesus' mission? Three or four of you were here. Jesus came to save the faithful, and even when he stood in the garden at Gethsemane, 
and he was afraid of dying. And he begged God to show him a way that, that they could accomplish this purpose without him dying. Even whenever he was so afraid to die and to be separated from the Father, a fate that we can't even imagine, he went through with it to accomplish his mission. You and I are Jesus' mission, and he can be trusted to accomplish that mission. Don't you know that he will be faithful and trustworthy to complete you, to heal you, to save you? The second one, Jesus is trustworthy even through mockery. Jesus goes to the house to bring a 12-year-old girl back to life, and everyone is making fun of him for it. I can't imagine how frustrating that would be. Guys, I'm trying to bring people back to life, and you're laughing at me? It doesn't even slow him down. I think our culture right now is turning away from God very quickly. I think it's turning away from from the Bible and from from biblical morals very quickly. We we live in a culture that often acts like it hates God, and Christianity has become a punchline in a lot of circles. Not all, but in a lot of places. I don't think it's going to slow down Jesus one bit. I don't think it's going to slow down this mission one bit. It didn't in these passages. It didn't stop him from healing. I don't think it'll stop him from healing us, from healing our world. The third one, Jesus is trustworthy to the faithful no matter where they are. Where do you talked about this? One woman throws herself at the coat of Jesus just to touch his coat. Two men are just following and crying out to Jesus. And one girl is dead altogether. She isn't even doing anything. But Jesus heals all of them, all four of them. Where do you feel like you're at? If you're putting yourself in the story, are you running? Are you trying to grab the coat? Are you just following? Are you crying out to Jesus? Or do you feel like you're just laying there, like you, don't, like you can't do anything? Don't you know that Jesus can still heal you? Jesus can still work with that. All that he asks is faith. And the last one, Jesus is trustworthy even when people try to stop him. At every step of Jesus' ministry so far in Matthew, there has been someone there to stop him by various means. When he was born, Herod sent people to kill him as a baby. When he teaches, the Pharisees mock him. When he heals, hell sends its demons. And Jesus, like a divine hot knife through butter, has just cut through every single one of them. He has cut through every barrier, every blockade in his way, and it hasn't hindered his ministry a bit. Despite our failures, despite my failures, Christ's work continues. Despite that I stand before you up here as a broken, gross person to myself, I pray that God is able to do something through what I say and through the, through the scripture that I'm, that I'm able, that I'm blessed to read to you guys. No matter how messed up everything else gets, Jesus cannot be thwarted. In, in main service today, we were talking about despair and hope. I think a lot of us deal with this kind of despair 
similar to what we were talking about in main service. I think we feel alone, we feel isolated, we feel depressed, we feel anxious. I don't want to take weight off of that. I don't want to take weight off of that at all. But Jesus can be trusted with those things. I think Jesus is the only person that can be trusted with those things. Are you scared of death? Are you uncomfortable? Are you hurting? Do you feel broken? Do you feel blind? Do you feel dead? Welcome to church where every Sunday that I can speak, I'll be standing here telling you to trust Jesus. I've put my trust in a lot of places. And I've always gone crawling back to Jesus. Like, if you can just give me one more chance, you'd be surprised how many one more chances Jesus has given me. You may think you're going through stuff that no one in this room understands, and maybe you are. You may think that the type of sin that you've been dealing with is too bad for Jesus to work with. You may think that I don't get it, I'm 21 years old, I'm sinful, and most importantly, I'm really, really stupid. I get a lot more than you might think I do. The only good thing about me is that I put my trust in Jesus. The only good thing about me is that whenever I was not too far from y'all's age, and I had to decide whether I was going to keep on living or not, I asked Jesus what he thought. If you're here and you think you have that faith, I encourage you to make sure that all of your trust is in Christ. And if you're here and you're hurting and you're lost, I encourage you to do something about that. Run after Jesus, cry out to Jesus, come talk to me. Let's talk about it. God, I hope. I hope that through all of my vanity and all of my pride and all of my selfishness and all of my brokenness, you're able to do something in this room today and every day that I'm here and every day that I'm not. God, despite my hypocrisy, I love you so much. Let that love flow out of me the way it flows into me every day. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have some questions at your table. Hope you came up with some questions of your own, too. Thank you all so much.